Welcome, everybody, to the Live from Tomorrow podcast. I am your host, Matt Hooper. Each week, we weave together guest interviews with comedic segments to bring tomorrow vividly to life, offering a bold, humorous perspective on what's next across business, technology, politics, and entertainment. I am recording this on the eve of Joe Biden's inauguration, which means that this is also being recorded in the shadow of the coup on January 6th. In the immediate aftermath of that terrible event, I had read it described as a mass delusional event, whereby a group of Trumpian true believers worked themselves into, well, basically a religious frenzy. And this description really stuck with me and got me thinking about the nature of faith. In my own life and career, I have placed an enormous amount of faith in technology and in an innovation ecosystem that builds and sells technology which is just as nebulous and abstract a thing to place my faith in as anything else, right? And which, frankly, given this ecosystem's dependence on the very same internet that spawned friggin' Parler, may have been a similarly fallible place to put one's faith. My faith has been shaken a lot this year, and I don't think I'm alone in this. This makes me think back to a story told in the aftermath of a Passover Seder from my childhood, about a sort of sequel to the Passover story, really, to a famous narrative all about the strangeness and fallibility of faith. Moses? Hmm? What's up? Oh, I'm I'm sorry. sorry. Is this a bad time? No, no, I'm just reading something on my tablet. I got distracted. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I know, I know. And I seriously, I'm sorry. It's not you. I like talking to you. Heck, I owe you. I've just had a lot to chew on lately. Mentally, I mean, we obviously don't have much in the way of food. We couldn't even leaven the bread, but 40 days and 40 nights without any company. Sorry, I I meant human company. Since ascending Mount Sinai, I've been just living with my thoughts, my doubts. You gave me these tablets of stone and a law and commandments. Oh, yeah, about that. But after that, there was nothing. I put it all on the line, sharing all Ten Commandments and... Well, we're in the desert, so it would be unusual if I actually heard crickets, but that's what it felt like. Just dead silence, like I bombed. Like nobody was rooting for me. Do you think this is why so many performers are prone to depression? Moses, they're They're worshipping a calf now. They're... what? A golden calf down in... they're they're bowing in front of it and they're throwing gifts at it. A a calf? Calf calf, like a baby cow? Yes. Oh my, me. Moses, please, just go and deal with this. If these lies continue to spread and these people lose faith, or worse, put their faith in a false idol, then the whole system crumbles. I got it. I, I got it. I'm gone. I'm, I'm on my way down the mountain. And if they don't behave themselves soon, I'm going to... No, no, uh, please, please. We don't need to escalate this. I will handle it. I, I promise. All right, everybody. Remember, if, if you want to stay on the calf's good side, you will continue to put forward peace offerings, okay? Maybe some burnt offerings, too. Um, Everyone? What the hell? Moses, honey, hi. We've been waiting for you to return to us. Zipporah, I was at work. I was schlepping these two tablets of stone up the... (sighs) Never mind. Where's this golden calf I hear so much about? Whoa, whoa, take it easy, brother. There's no need to get all competitive. Some of us have Yahweh, you know? Who only you seem to ever be able to talk to. And the rest of us here, living among the people, we who aren't elites... We have this molten calf made of golden earrings and ornaments we've all brought with us for the Exodus. This is insane. You're all insane. Ah! Moses, honey, you broke the tablets. Ah, you shouldn't have thrown those, Moses. Come on, without any proof of Yahweh's wisdom, you really are going to be alone. 
People can keep praying to the calf and say that everything you stood for was a hoax with only you, the radical, left. Whose idea was this? And why is everybody dancing? Daddy, you're back. Have you prayed to Kathy yet? Oh, Gershom, not you too. Mom, can Essie and I go play in the dunes? Oh, it's fine with me, sweetie. But you might want to run it by the calf first. What is happening to my people? How have we come so undone? Calm down, brother. All right, while you were gone, some folks reached out to me in a group chat. A literal chat among a group of us, of course. These are Old Testament times, after all. And decided that this whole thing was rigged. There's only one Yahweh, ten commandments. I mean, that feels pretty random. Aaron, you've seen with your own two eyes what Yahweh can do for us. Take us safely out from Egypt, help me split an entire sea in two. Fake news, bruh. Yeah, Moses. I mean, for someone who cares so much about our freedom, it seems like you're pretty big on forcing us into a certain set of rules. <laughs> we have to keep Yahweh's Torah, right? But what do we get out of it? The land of Canaan. Canaan? Come on, I mean, come on. I think what Aaron is trying to say is that in your absence, we got to thinking about what's really going on here. I'm not necessarily in favor of Kathy, by the way, but I understand the appeal. It's big, it's fat, it's golden, it's strong. Law and order. Whereas Yahweh, I mean... Yahweh has stolen a lot of time from us. Stop the steal! Without necessarily making good on the initial promise. I can't... I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Folks, if we want to make it to the promised land, we need to be a lot tougher than this. Okay? We can't be so susceptible to misinformation, to doubt. We, we have to all share the faith. A faith in something higher, truer, more complicated and virtuous. Not blind, ignorant faith in this ridiculous golden doofus. Well, if you're so bullish on this Yahweh stuff... Oh, bullish! Nice one, Aaron! <laughs> Thank you, but really, it's just... It's what Kathy does to me. I mean, he's a muse. He is a god, and he's a muse. Whosoever is on the Lord's side, let him come unto me. Wait, whoa, whoa, what are you, what are you doing? Look, over there, the Levites. They never turned their back on Yahweh, did they? They have remained loyal. Honey, people do crazy things in the desert. There's no need to punish. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, put ye every man his sword upon his thigh and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. Whoa, dude. With the help of the Levites, you're really going to kill 3,000 people? Well, how else can I punish such an ungrateful group of sinners? If we all intend to push forward together, we must share our faith, our core principles. And we can't let such insubordination, such violence, go unpunished. Dad, I... No, it's my faith versus their faith, a true faith versus an untrue faith, and I win. Well, Moses, true faith? I mean, talk about an oxymoron. <laughs> oh! Oxymoron? You did it again, Aaron. How are you so punny? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, it's not me. Praise Kathy. Live from tomorrow, we'll be back after a short break. As I said at the top of the episode, I have placed my faith in the innovation ecosystem. In a loose, part digital, part IRL network of large corporations, lean startups, venture capital funds, co-working spaces, and accelerator programs. The 2010s marked the rise of this ecosystem in New York City, and it's where I've spent the majority of my career. But a new decade may very well call for a new way of doing business, and, like so much else, the ecosystem has been upended by the pandemic. I sat down with my good friend John Lynn, with whom I came up in the New York City innovation ecosystem, 
and whose company, Sela, works at the intersection of all these disparate points in an ecosystem to dig into some of this stuff, to help define often overused and perhaps misused innovation terms, and to work with me to figure out whether or not our faith has been misplaced. This interview is about 90 seconds longer than our usual interview length, and it was a little rawer than most of the discussions we've had on this show, too, considering, well, everything. I hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, I am really beyond excited. I am thrilled to be sitting down today with one of my best friends in the world, uh, who I've never had the privilege of being able to interview on a show, but we've never really had a show quite like this. Uh, Please welcome to to today's uh, interview, John Lynn, the co-founder and CEO of Sela. John, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Matt. One of the reasons I say we haven't really done a show like this um, is that we've never... There are two things happening right now by the time this episode will be released, right? One is that we are at the very, very end of the Trump administration. And ironically, for a show that's all about tomorrow and the role that innovation plays in the, the building of a better tomorrow... Uh, Like so many writers, week to week, I find myself struggling to get out from the shadow of of these last four years and and what it's meant for innovation, how in so many ways new ideas have been stifled as things like borders close and nationalism uh, is ascendant. And and as I balance that with this and then the horrible wake of the coup on January 6th in Washington, D.C., it made me think about belief. It made me think about faith and you know, I'd read that the sixth was referred to as a mass delusion event, a phrase that I really appreciate because I think that's what it was. I realized that so many folks in, in this country and, and, and frankly around the world believed in an entirely alternate reality. And we've addressed this in other episodes to an extent, but you and I have also kept a faith in something bigger than ourselves for about 10 years. It's it's in the innovation ecosystem, something that people still don't really know how to define and then we'll get into that in a moment. And so I was thinking about what it takes to keep the faith in something and how complicated it is for folks like us who have kept faith in technology and interconnectedness in the value of digital platforms while we're seeing a world sort of become undone by the influence of hateful rhetoric and virulently racist opinions and behaviors on digital platforms, right? Yeah, thanks, Matt. I uh, and also start thinking about the, the the opening piece there because you know what Sela does is focus on on startup accelerators as a format for building ecosystems. Yes, in corporations. Yes, in governments, but also in in communities of all kinds. And part of, I think, the faith that you're talking about is what are we driving for when we come together in any collaborative format, right? Um, The faith is operative. Come together first and we'll get to the outcome. And so what Sela does is, is identify that community and ecosystem is the primary vehicle for innovation in any circumstance. So uh, the the ways that we do that are are literally by building these accelerator programs with investor groups, with corporations, with governments, with universities, but also by bringing other accelerators and other innovation groups together. So if you think of Sela as a team of accelerator experts that helps build accelerators and build accelerator leaders together, 
then then that's really the best way to understand what we do. What is an accelerator for anybody who really might still just need a, a very simple explanation? And how have a community of accelerators sprung up in the same time period we're talking about? Yeah. So um, the actual definition of what counts as an accelerator is at issue. And it's part of why we've organized community around it. My personal uh, opinion on that definition is that uh, an accelerator is a cohort-based curriculum experience delivered by industry operators. And so what that means in terms of the traditional application of the model for entrepreneurs is that you have a cohort basis, a group of entrepreneurs, a group of early stage startups coming together to start the program at once together. They go through a content curriculum, but that content is built to apply specifically to their companies and enable them to grow in specific ways, whether that's making a sale, making a hire, finding an investor, organizing a marketing campaign, any of the things that an early stage company needs to do all on its own. And that's the curriculum experience, right? Not just content, um, but application. And then last, the experience is delivered, that education is delivered by industry operators. So in this case, the entrepreneurship ecosystem, investors, technology experts, corporate sponsors that are coming in not just to offer their, their content, but also the way that it's helped them in their experience, number one. And number two, to offer their connections and network to extend the access and extend the opportunities of that cohort of entrepreneurs. And so to me, anything that brings together that cohort has a curriculum that's focused on applying to, to a specific project and relies on the experiences of operatives in the field, not necessarily subject experts, um, has the primary components of an accelerator. Where do you see the future of accelerators going? Will there be far fewer that are much more impactful or will there be many and sort of similar to the college experience, they all offer different uh, unique opportunities for the folks that, 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 uh, that, that enter these programs and all that that, I guess, means, right? Certifications, opportunities, access, and so on. Like how much of this is going to be impacted by our second uh, economic collapse over the last roughly 10 years that, that we're all in right now. Yeah. And how much of yeah. it is, is built to last? It's so important to, to, to call out here again, man, that this is, is going to be heavily impacted by the pandemic and the way that we respond as a society, as, as a nation to the changes that are occurring as a result of it. And so we already have a lot of faith, as as you said, as we, we open this conversation with, that there is a, an inherent value to ecosystem and community that make them very important for the future, for, for everyone. But, and, and, and so we, we, we project growth for the space generally. The pandemic and the changes that are coming along with it, where we're seeing there be a sort of diaspora from the cities moving out towards more comfortable climates or locales closer to the individual's origin, um, whatever city in the U.S. that might be, or, or town or, or, or rural area, is going to mean that 
these structures, accelerators, incubators, labs, studios, all the things that you listed before are going to come a long way. And we're already seeing rural communities be more inquisitive about how they can have a, a co-working space or an incubator or an accelerator of some kind, or how different industries can adopt the model. I'm talking later today to a writer's incubator that is being set up in Los Angeles. There's uh, all sorts of different directions that these models are now being taken as a result of the pandemic. And it's just another way that we've seen this process of the pan of the pandemic actually accelerating the world. I mean, yes, through it's accelerated us towards new work environments and being more comfortable with virtual cooperation, virtual transaction, closing investment, closing deals online. And, and I think that's a very powerful, positive thing. Uh, again, going back to the beginning of this conversation, that's going to, it's going to be part of how we push back against the, uh, disconnection and misinformation that have that that different parts of the country have become vulnerable to. My final question, given the theme, is you and I are both also on top of working with entrepreneurs, supporting entrepreneurs. We are entrepreneurs, right? We're, we're running our own businesses. That too requires enormous amounts of faith. How are you maintaining that faith right now in such uncertain times when the future of all businesses? Uh, is up in the air and uh, and there's so much opportunity but also so so much risk in a way that maybe wasn't true even a year ago how how are you keeping the faith i think it's in the wow what a what a difficult question but but thank you for asking it for me it's in understanding having seen so many different innovation environments entrepreneurial environments technology environments corporations governments universities etc that there's actually not a DNA level change that needs to take place in most organizations, most groups, most communities. There's just a missing piece that's now available for anyone to build. And that is the ecosystem, right? In the way that we provide a structure for everyone to come together and create in an organic and responsive way. So for me, I, the faith is, is coming from the way that 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 realization can pull us forward out of this this very difficult time into a place where we are all more coordinated, similarly informed, and really focused on, on building the future together. Live from tomorrow, we'll be back after a short break. John's emphasis on community is a welcome reminder of the power of a certain kind of faith, a generous faith in our fellow humans. And not just online, Yes, the very same tech tools we evangelized at the turn of the last decade have turned out to be, well, awful. So what can we do? Where can we look after so much time spent online these last, uh, I mean, it feels like a hundred years. I know it hasn't been that long, but I, for one, am eager to place my faith in something less digital, something a little more traditional. In just a few months' time, for example, when vaccines are more widely distributed, I want to make sure that I've placed my faith in the right institutions. Hey, Matt, have you heard of this app called Hater? I have not. Oh, Sally, it's six o'clock. That's when they're announcing vaccine updates on channel 12. Ugh, looks like this is where all the far-right lunatics are moving. Twitter, Facebook, Apple, they can try deplatforming these people all they want, but they always find a new place for your racist uncle to feel good and have fun with his friends online. <sighs> Remember when the internet was good? Yeah. 
I mean, I was pretty sure the more connected everyone became, the better off we'd all be. And I don't think I was naive. I was just a true believer, I guess. I, I'll be careful where to place my faith going forward. Here, let's, uh, let's turn the TV on. When we come back, we will have updates on when, where, and how you can sign up for your COVID vaccine. Stay tuned, Connecticut. Sally, do you think I could ever be an anchor on local news? Like, No. You didn't let me finish. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Well, I just think that as the podcast grows in stature, you know, as the interviews become more substantive, I might have a chance to anchor a segment or something on local news. No, no, no. I don't think you could do that. You didn't let me finish. Are you guys watching Channel 12? Have they offered any vaccine updates yet? Not yet. Come on in, Bowens. This is incredible. You both realize we're talking about a light at the end of the tunnel, don't you? There are vaccines available to us. In a few months, we might be able to travel again, to go outside without a mask. Bowens, you and Roger could finally move in together and you wouldn't have to crash with us anymore. I'm not in any rush. Okay. Well, it's happening, folks. We have begun the process of offering vaccinations to frontline and essential workers, with other groups to follow in the coming weeks and months. That's right, Anne. This is obviously an incredibly exciting time for, well, everybody. (laughs) After a year of being separated from our loved ones, of being unable to do so much, we may very well be at the beginning of the end of the COVID era. Ah, you see that? You see how they don't even acknowledge the crazy anti-vaxxers? This is the way information should be broadcast. I have got to get offline. I know. There's something so nice and just honest about local news. Good government, smart bureaucrats in the public and private sectors, local, well-researched news instead of some crazy headline powered by algorithm. I'm all in on this. This is where I'll place my faith. Today, Chance It All Inc. announced that the MGWPRA, the Medicines and Get Well Products Regulatory Agency, has granted a temporary authorization for emergency use of the eeny, meeny, miny, mo method by which they will deliver vaccine doses in the fight against COVID-19, following potential regulatory authorizations or approvals, and in guidance from the JCSDSP, or the Joint Commission of Silly Decisions for Serious Problems. For more on this, let's go to a clip of Alan Hunter, the chairman and executive officer of Chance It All. Wait, is this? What are we watching exactly? Shh, the CEO's about to speak. Today's emergency use authorization in the U.S. marks a historic moment in the fight against COVID-19. This authorization is a goal we have been working towards since we first decided that a game of eeny, meeny, miny, moe should determine who receives first access to vaccination. Our goal is to be an example of how even the most serious of situations can be decided by having somebody very literally point his or her finger at two or more people and recant this time-worn children's counting rhyme. <laughs> yes. I don't understand what I'm watching. Are they seriously rolling out this vaccine with a game of- Matt, we're trying to watch. Yeah, weren't you the one who was so high on all things not internet five minutes ago? Local news, governments, all that. Well, this is it. Now, Max, as many of our viewers know, in July 2020, Chance had all reached an agreement with the U.S. to supply 30 million pointers, women and men with the stamina to stand for up to 12 hours and move their finger back and forth while simultaneously reciting a specific grouping of words. That's right, Anne. And this was an essential move. Most people can't, in fact, do more than one thing at a time. Some folks are amazing pointers, others are counters, some are talkers. And after a year spent largely inside, where our brains have turned to collective mush, it's not nearly as easy to find someone who can multitask as it used to be. Mr. Hunter went on to say how impressed he was with all those who have signed up to recite eeny, meeny, miny, moe. 
knowing the risks inherent in such a decision. We're so divided right now, and the special interest groups, the nursery rhyme lobby, heck, even allies like Senator Goose, they're not making it easy for our pointers to do their jobs in an objective, nonpartisan, basically uninterrupted way. I, I can't... I can't believe this. What do you mean? It's not a matter of believe. This is what's happening. This is how the world's most powerful institutions are deciding how we'll all survive a once-in-a-century pandemic. But you think... I mean, given how crazy life online has become, how toxic and horrible, that some sort of, I don't know, truth would still matter in the real world? That if the worst actors online keep finding refuge and that those of us who stand on the side of fairness and democracy and inclusion and, 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 and reality would be able to fight back with things like reason and science and process? Matt, why is it so important to believe anything at all? They don't. Yeah, don't you see? People just point at stuff to make their decisions. Each of the 30 million pointers were required to take a test, which included questions like what to do with a tiger when he hollers, and how would you react if your mother says to pick the very best one? And Mr. Hunter went on to assure a curious, fearful public that, quote, this was a vigorous selection process. The folks who passed the test, they were forced to be prepared for any number of situations. At the end of any meeny, miny, mo, will you pull a fake out? Will you say, and it is not you, or maybe it is not Y-O-U, thus extending the rhyme and keeping the pointy in suspense. You know, Matt, you said you thought truth would still matter, but belief is explicitly not truth. <sighs> Max, I must say I admire Mr. Hunter's candor. I mean, no matter what, this is very serious business, and it needs to be handled as such. That's right, Anne. This is life and death we're talking about here. All right, folks, that's our show. I want to thank our guest, John Lynn, our cast, Max Azulay, Kelly Quinn, Ann Veal, and Matthew Walters-Bowens, our composer, Ben Easton. I am your writer and host, Matt Hooper. Please be sure to follow us on Instagram at Live From Tomorrow Official, and we'll catch you all next week for our season finale. Thanks, folks. <laughs>